You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Holy God, we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that today we gather with such joyful hope because Christ is risen from the dead. We pray that you would give us open minds, open hearts, open souls, open lives today, that we might hear this message of good news freshly, as if for the first time, that we might respond with the whole of our lives in obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name and for the sake of his risen name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, church. Y'all, thank you so much for coming here at 8 a.m., I mean, so many of you turned out this early in the morning. I am so grateful for that. Um, it's going to hopefully make some room for other people who are coming later. So thank you so much. Um, it is so good to be here gathered. People all over the world are gathered today. I mean, literally people, people in the streets of South America, in huddled groups in Ukraine, in homes in Asia, in cathedrals in Europe. People from every tribe and every tongue and every nation are gathered around the world today proclaiming this good news that is the fulcrum of our faith, the core of our lives, the hinge on which all of history turns, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Would you just turn your neighbor and say, I am so happy that you are here today. Could you just do that? Yeah. I saw some of y'all not even turn. No, but listen to the, you're already ignoring the preacher. Listen, um, I'm Corey. I'm the senior pastor here. And um, we, for for our church, I know that some of you are visiting, um, but our church has been going through the book of Mark. Um, The New Testament has four gospels, really the stories about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is the shortest one, pretty easy to read. And we've been going through it together since uh, mid-January going through it chapter by chapter. And um, we've been calling this the way of Jesus, which really refers to both the way that Jesus takes for our salvation and also the way that he calls us on to follow him. So we're nearing the end. Uh, This Thursday and Friday, we read chapters 14 and 15, which are the stories of Jesus's suffering and death. And today we turn to the final chapter, which is the chapter on which everything turns. So let's hear Esther Choi as she reads Mark chapter 16 to us. Hear today's gospel reading from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, They were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, 
tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For 13 years, my family and I lived on a bus line, on a bus line in a home in Church Hill. And so about every 15 or 20 minutes or so, this massive three, three, about 30,000 pound bus would come hurtling past our house, literally about 20 feet from the eastern wall of our home. And when we first started living there, this was a huge distraction um, because every so often there would be this massive boom, this thunderous noise that would literally shake the house and make you stop whatever you were doing. But a funny thing happened is that after a while, after a couple months, after a couple years, guess what happened? We stopped, stopped hearing it. We just stopped paying attention. It just kind of blended into the background of our lives. We just didn't even hear it anymore. But every once in a while, uh, somebody would be over at our house, they'd be sitting in the den, we'd be talking, and they would just jump up and they'd say, what was that? <clears throat> and we'd say, what was what? Because <laughs> they heard a boom and we heard nothing. 2,000 years ago, there was a boom, a thunderous event that shook the world and rattled and changed everyone who heard it. In fact, it, it so rattled and changed the world that the world literally changed, that this tiny little group of Christians grew and within 200 years had taken over the Roman Empire and eventually became the largest religious movement on the planet. The world-shaking, world-rattling news that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. But here's the problem, friends, is that 2,000 years later, after hearing this message, Jesus is risen over and over again, and after filling up this day, you know, with so many trivialities like Easter bunnies and eggs and marshmallow peeps, which I do love, we can, we can barely hear it anymore. We've, it's just become like the background noise. It's no longer a boom. It's no longer a rush. It's no longer this thundering noise that once shook the world. So the world is still shaking and we're like, huh? I didn't hear anything. And so what I want us to try to do today as we dig into this passage just a little bit for the next few minutes, is try to hear it again. Try to hear the boom. Hear the thunderous noise that rocked these early Christians and that rocked the ancient world. My question for you is this. How do you know? How do you know if you've heard it? How do you know if you've actually, not just heard, but taken in, assimilated, been even changed by the message of Easter? Or are you just looking nice and coming to church on Easter Day. How do you know if you've really experienced the message of Easter? Three things we're going to see from this text. First, your mind is challenged. Second, your heart is comforted. And third, your life is changed. Okay? Three signs. First, 
your mind is challenged. Let's just jump into this text. And if you have your Bibles in front of you, you're welcome to look at them with me or you can just listen. So Jesus died. Kids, I don't know if you remember. What day did Jesus die on? Do you remember? Yeah? He, he rose on the third day. He died on Friday. So he died on Friday. And just as he, be, just as he died and he was placed in the tomb, the Sabbath happened. And so the men and women who were his friends didn't have time to prepare his body. And so they waited. They had to wait for a full 36 hours until the early morning of the first day of the week, which is where this story picks up in verse 1. We can see here that they waited until the Sabbath was over. And early in the morning, maybe about 6 a.m., these three women headed to Jesus' grave. And why does it say that they were going to Jesus' grave? It says real plainly here, verse 1 so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. Now, this almost sounds too obvious to point out, but these women believed that Jesus was dead, right? They didn't go to the tomb with these spices and say, hey, let's bring these along just in case Jesus is still dead. No, they actually went to the tomb to find a corpse. And here, if you look at the end of the text in verse eight, even after they heard the news from the angel, that Jesus was risen from the dead, they still couldn't believe. They still couldn't wrap their minds around it. They were still bewildered. And we know from the other gospel accounts that the male disciples had the same reaction. When they hear from the women, when they learn about this, they don't believe it either. And so everybody, the women, the men, nobody could get their minds around the fact that Jesus could be alive. Why? Why? Well, here's why. Because in the first century, dead people stayed dead. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, no, I'm no expert on the ancient world, but I can say with total certainty that dead people were just as unlikely to rise from the dead in the first century as they are today, right? Dead people stay dead. Some, the reason why I think we're making that point, it's just kind of silly, is because sometimes, sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, this is an ancient text, and back then, 2,000 years ago, people were gullible, and people were superstitious, and people believed in things like, you know, miracles and mysteries and things like resurrections. But today, we're people of logic and people of reason and people of science, and we actually know the way that the world works, and people who still happen to believe in things like the literal resurrection of Jesus are just fooling themselves, right? They're just doing what Mark Twain said, Faith is believing in what you know deep down ain't true. Is that, is that what's going on here today, right? Is this just sort of, is the resurrection just kind of a feel-good myth? And we're kind of winking at each other, you know, it's sort of like a parable of hope, a symbol of new life, but deep down we all just kind of know it ain't true. No, to the contrary, Christianity is really unique among the world religions and among the world belief systems in that its entire legitimacy depends on the historical veracity and accuracy of these historical events. As we often say around here, Christianity is not good advice. It's not good advice about how to live a good life. It's not good advice. It's good news about something that has happened. Christians believe that we are saved and we are loved and we are forgiven and we have hope, not because of what we do because, but because of what he 
did, what Christ has done in his death and resurrection. And so what that means is that everything actually depends on whether or not these events actually occurred. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if this is just a parable or if this is just a symbol or if this is a myth, then like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Christians are the biggest fools. Our faith is useless. We are the dummiest of dummies. <laughs> like that? <laughs> uh, everything, so here's what I'm saying. Everything depends on whether this actually happened. That's, and if you look at it, and if you read this, this is why sometimes these ancient resurrection occurrences read like newspaper reports. Like notice Mark includes so many exact details, like the names of the women who were there because they were alive when this was written so that it could be verified that they actually saw these things. Um, the details about the time of day, the size of the stone, the color of the clothing the man was wearing. Like, why do I care? Well, because it actually happened. He was sitting on the right side of the tomb. Okay, why? This is a report. It's like they're reaching out to us across the history and saying, look, we were just as doubtful, just as skeptical, just as unwilling to accept the idea that a man could walk out of a grave alive, but against everything that we thought or imagined or believed, it happened. We saw him. Christ is risen. N.T. Wright, the great New Testament scholar, puts it like this. The only reasonable explanation for how a group of skeptical, unsuspecting, demoralized, and terrified group of people could have been transformed overnight into a powerful movement that went willingly to their deaths and changed the course of Western civilization is that the resurrection actually happened. So why am I saying this? Look, I, I, I recognize a lot of you. Some of you I've never seen before. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're exploring. Maybe your mom made you come. I don't know. So, you know, we're all at different places with faith and with doubt. So if you have a hard time believing this, I want you to know you're in good company. The early disciples were not a bunch of naive, uncritical people who desperately wanted Jesus to be alive. They were highly skeptical, deeply disillusioned, only gradually convinced of the truth, eventually overwhelmed, right, by the support that this is true. And countless people since then have taken on pain and sacrifice and walked into torture and given away everything and moved across oceans and abandoned life and limb, all because they believed that this actually happened, that this man rose and walked out from the tomb. So this is the first sign that, that you actually are being changed, challenged, moved by the message of Easter, that Christianity, your mind is blown, right? Christianity isn't just a feeling in your heart. It's reason, truth of the mind. It requires your thinking to weigh the evidence. Look at the facts. Work your way through this. And then you get to the point where you say, oh, my this is not just what my parents told me to believe. This is not just some sweet cultural religious idea. This actually happened. And if that's true, it changes everything. Has that happened to you? Has the penny dropped for you in that way? Has your mind been inflamed by this? That's the first sign that you're really starting to get it. Okay, that's the first thing. Your mind is challenged. Second, your heart your heart is comforted. Easter isn't just a, a challenging message to believe. It's also an experience for the heart. We see in these stories that Easter is a really powerful emotional experience for the people who encounter Jesus. They're set free from fear, set free from guilt and shame. And one of the ways that you know that you're really beginning to grasp the message of Easter is that you are experiencing greater 
um, emotional freedom, freedom from fear and shame and guilt, more peace, more resilience, more joy, more gratitude. Let me just give you a couple of examples of that here. First of all, freedom from fear in your heart. There's a lot of fear in these verses, right? In fact, if you read all four of the resurrection accounts, everybody's afraid. They're afraid all the time. Afraid of the Jews, afraid of the Romans, afraid of God, afraid of each other. Why? Because their worst nightmare is coming true. The thing that they were most terrified of has happened and their lives are shattered. So they're terrified. And then suddenly there's Jesus. And what does Jesus keep saying? Don't be afraid. That's what the angel says in verse six. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. Think about who is saying that. You know, I can say that to my kids. I've got four awesome kids. And I can say to them, hey, girls, don't be afraid. Everything's going to be okay. But you know what? I don't know that. I can't guarantee that. I can't be sure that everything's going to be okay for them. I can't protect them from harm. I can't protect them from tragedy. I can't shield them from disaster. But Jesus, this is the man who walked into death, who jumped into hell, who was swallowed up by evil and blasted forth the other side. Don't you think that when that man says, don't be afraid, everything's going to be okay, don't you think you can believe him? And see, this is how this group of terrified cowardly, fear-stricken people were changed almost overnight into this brave, fearless community that changed the world. How did that happen? Because they met the man who beat their fears. They met the man who conquered their nightmares. And that's what can happen to you because of Easter with your own fears, is that knowing that connected with this man, you can face anything because even death is not the end. Don't you, you know, y'all, there's a whole lot to be afraid of. I don't think I have to convince you of that. Don't you want a heart that is free of fear? My, my friends, um, me and Sarah's friends, Holly and Brian, are like that. Holly and Brian are two friends that we went to college with. And Brian, um, about 10 years ago, developed cancer. And it just got more and more aggressive. And we were all praying fervently And we were also worried and also scared that he wasn't going to make it and that Holly was going to be a widower and that his three kids were going to be left without a dad. And um, a few years ago on Good Friday, Holly, his wife, wrote an email to a bunch of us who were praying for him. And this is what she wrote. On this Good Friday, I think about how the disciples must have felt utterly devastated and dejected and grief-stricken seeing their Lord die on a cross. Is that it? They must have wondered. Is this really how it's going to end? This man who they believed to be their savior, dead? How hopeless. Little did they know that Easter was just around the corner, and not only would their sadness be erased and their mourning turned to dancing, but that of the whole world. And then this is what Holly wrote, and this is really what I want you to hear. Whatever is in store for our family in the coming months, we know that ultimately our hope does not lie in chemo or doctors or medicine, but in the one who can do all things and has done all things and has secured for us our victory over death. Happy Good Friday, and thank God for Easter. Brian died three months later. 
And I have never seen a person face death with such courage. I have never seen a woman, any person, face their spouse's death with such courage. I have never seen a funeral with so many people at it as Holly stood at the front and declared the power of the resurrection and defied death. Friends, this is the kind of courage that Easter can bring. The resurrection says Jesus has defeated death itself, and God is going to restore everything that's lost. He's going to renew, restore creation itself with our bodies. The people we've lost, our relationships, nothing will be lost. Therefore, take courage. You can't lose anymore. There's nothing to be afraid of. The last word over the world is guaranteed to be life. Easter's the end of fear. Here's another example. Easter's the end of shame and guilt. Look at what the angels say to the women in verse 7. They say, go tell those cowardly, betraying, faithless, no good disciples that Jesus wants nothing to do with them. He's going to get a fresh start. If they really want back in, they better crawl on their hands and knees and grovel and maybe he'll forgive them. Oh no, that's not what the text says. But it could have been what the text said because remember what those male disciples did? Every last one of them. The women were the only ones who stayed. Every last one of those men ran away or hid or kept silent in Jesus' greatest moment of need, they flaked. And the worst one of all, Peter. Do you remember? After declaring vehemently to Jesus, I will never betray you. Kids, do you remember how many times he denied that he even knew Jesus? How many times? Three times he denied. And can you imagine, y'all? I mean, I, I, I'm personally, I actually struggle a lot with shame. And so I can't, I, I mean, I was just putting myself in Peter's shoes this week. I can't, I can't even imagine the suffocating shame, the overwhelming guilt, the, the, the sense of almost like meaninglessness, hopelessness. Judas, you know, took his life. I've often wondered if Peter was about to do the same thing, right? How do you live with something like that? And then here's the message of this angel that he gives to the disciples, and he specifically names Peter. He says, tell them, and especially Peter, that I am going before them to gather again them to me that all is well. And you can just picture the women. I mean, just imagine in your, in, in your, in your mind that the women come to the men, and they're all sort of huddled together, and they say, Jesus is risen, y'all, and he's going before you, and he wants to meet up with you in Galilee. And they're all excited, but there's Peter in the corner. You guys go without me. He doesn't want to see me. No way. No way, not after what I've done. But then the women say, no, Peter. He said specifically, you. You. You are forgiven. You, he wants you, Peter. He's welcoming you. See, this, this is so powerful. In our world, if you mess up like this, if you make a mistake this big, there is no hope for you. You're out. You're canceled. You're done. But with Jesus, not only does he forgive and restore Peter, even before he repents, but he makes him one of the greatest leaders in the church. And this is what Jesus does with our shame, with our guilt. The psychologist Brene Brown often says that every human being most deeply wants two things, to be 
fully known by other human beings and to be fully loved. But what shame does is it tells us deep down that if anybody actually fully knew me and knew everything in me, knew what I thought, knew what's in my heart, know the things I've done, if anybody fully knew me, they would never love me. I can never be fully known and fully loved. And yet here's Jesus saying, I see all. I know all. I see it all. And you are loved. Your shame is taken away. Your guilt is forgiven. My resurrection is proof that your sins have been paid for and that forgiveness is a fixed reality. Receive my grace. And that changed Peter forever and it can change you. So this is what I mean when I say the message of Easter can change your heart. What burden are you carrying? All of us are carrying some burden. Are you racked with anxiety? Are you riddled with fears? Are you tortured by regret? Are you burdened with shame? Are you overwhelmed with a sense of how your life could have gone differently? When you look ahead to the future, do you feel hopelessness? These are terribly burdening. And no human is meant to carry them. And Jesus Christ has risen to set you free. His resurrection means the end of guilt. You're forgiven. The end of shame. You're fully loved and known. The end of fear. Nothing that is precious to you can ever be truly lost. The end of regret. Even the worst mistakes can be redeemed. The end of hopelessness. Everything really will be okay. So this is one of the great signs that you're really beginning to grasp the message of Easter is that you are increasingly experiencing the liberating power of the resurrection, that you find yourself less burdened by guilt, fear. You're more courageous. You're more joyful, more grateful. Because Jesus is alive, grace is real, forgiveness is secured, death is conquered, hope is on the way. Easter can change you from the inside out. Does that happen to you? So the first way you know that you're hearing the boom, your mind is blown. Second way you know your heart is comforted. Final way, real briefly, your life is changed. Look again what the angel says to the women in verse seven. Go, go and tell this good news. Tell the disciples. They're given something to do. They're commissioned to go, to go and tell about what's happened. In fact, every time Jesus appears to some of his friends in the resurrection accounts, he does this. He tells them to go out and now be a part of his mission, his resurrection mission to the world. When people meet the resurrected Jesus, their lives are totally changed, right? They, the, the, the whole direction of their life shifts in a new way. They can't go back. They can't return to the way they were living before. They can no longer live for the same things they were living before. You know, when you meet a guy who is risen from the dead, you don't try to get him to help you out with your personal agenda. You try to get your agenda aligned with his. So the one of the, here's, here's the final sign. The sign that you know if you've been changed by Easter and you're not just a churchgoer is that your whole life's agenda has been changed. Your whole life's purpose has shifted. You're no longer just trying to make some money and raise good kids, and do the American dream, and retire well. Instead, the risen Jesus has shifted the whole course of your life so that now you want to be up to what God is up to in the world. And what is God up to, friends? Resurrection. That's what he's up to. He is renewing all things. He's restoring creation. He's forgiving the guilty. He's rescuing the captive. He's bringing justice for the oppressed. He's reconciling races 
He's caring for the poor. He's healing broken relationships. He's taking all the broken, shattered pieces of our world and putting them back together again. Jesus says to all who meet him, go. You are now a part of my resurrection movement. Go and proclaim and demonstrate that I am risen and that I am renewing all things. I'm telling y'all, there's no better life than this. There's no better life. This is what we all want deep down. Why, why do you guys think we love these stories about ordinary people getting drawn in to extraordinary missions? Like, you know, a kid getting bit by a spider and suddenly a part of this big mission or a boy waking up on his birthday and realizing that he's magical and he's a part of this big battle against evil in the world. Why do we love these stories? where ordinary people are drawn into extraordinary things because that's what we want. We want to believe that our lives are not meaningless, that our lives are not just ordinary. We want our lives to be that meaningful, and Easter says they are. That connected to Jesus, your life can be that meaningful, that he has risen from the dead. He's pushing back darkness in the world. He's renewing all things, that a day is coming when creation will be made right. And Jesus now says to you, Go you can be a part of this. You thought your life was ordinary, it can be extraordinary. Connected to me, connected to my resurrection power, your life will never be the same again. So friends, stop living for dead-end things. Start living for the things that God is up to in the world because Jesus is risen. Follow him. So let's just review, okay? Class. It's Easter morning. We're remembering, celebrating something that happened 2,000 years ago. A boom went off, a earth-shattering, world-rattling event that changed the world and is changing and will change the world forever. How do you know if you're actually hearing this? I want you to remember today. I don't want you to go to work this week and someone says, oh, how was Easter? What did the preacher talk about? And you're like, oh, um, Jesus. Um, so everybody on their feet. Everybody stand up, okay? If you're uncomfortable with this, you can just stand awkwardly with your hands at your side. Um, so I have, uh, here's, the th- here's the, three th- the three signs we talked about, and I have an emoji for each one. So if you're a visual learner, you can remember the emojis, Okay. But some of us are also kinesthetic learners, so we're going to do that too. So first of all, how do you know if you're really hearing the message of Easter? First, everybody put your hands to your temple. Your mind is challenged. You, these are actual, historically verifiable events that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Your mind is challenged. Second, your heart, your heart is changed. Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, frees you from fear and guilt and shame and regret you are increasingly liberated from the bondage of sin within you. And finally, hold out your hands like this. Your life is changed. You are no longer your own. You now want to be a part of the mission, the resurrection mission of Jesus to the world. Don't you want that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news that Jesus has risen from the dead. Thank you that death is not the end of our story that this world is not dying slowly to extinction. Thank you that we are now hurtling towards life, that the risen Jesus is ascended. 
He is working in the world through the power of the Spirit, and he is coming again to make all things new. Change and challenge our minds, comfort and restore our hearts, and chart and direct the course of our lives that we might be about the resurrection mission of Jesus. We ask all these things in his name. Amen. Amen.